Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Well, this is the last sermon in this series called First. We, uh, we started this series on the first Sunday of January, and it was very intentional, obviously, called First. And it was very intentional because there were some things that I felt like God was calling us to at the first of this year, and that if we could get this right, this was going to be an amazing year for us. And, and I think we're getting it right. Because, you know, on top of this series, we had our consecrate services on Wednesday nights. That was an amazing experience in the presence of God. And for those of you that missed it, I am sorry you missed it. It's one of those things I think you had to be there. Those, those sermons are available at, on Facebook. You can go there to our page and you can click on it and listen to them. But what an amazing time of worship and the Word and just, just during that 21 days. It was, it was just a great experience. But, but we been going through this series first, and um, for those of you that were, have not been here, and I know we've got a lot of guests, especially with baby dedication and such, for those of you that have not been here, I want to go really quick, just give you a review. I'm going to make it very fast, and then I want to close this out with what I feel like is a very important sermon for us as a church. The first week of this series, I spoke about the principle of first, and we looked at Genesis chapter 4 where God was pleased with Abel's offering, but he was not pleased with Cain's offering. And I told you this. I said, God is not satisfied with your leftovers. God wants your first. Then the second week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let him take care of the rest. He said, all these things will be added to you. And so seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I told you, we must be careful not to let our kingdoms get in the way of God's kingdom. Seeking the kingdom of God first acknowledges that God is king and you're not king. And then week three, we read from Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus told a parable about these day laborers who were hired at the end of the workday, but they got the same pay as those who were hired at the beginning of the day. And, and Jesus makes this statement, it's a very well-known statement that's often misused, but Jesus makes this statement, he says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And in teaching this parable, Jesus was telling his disciples that when it comes to eternal blessings, Everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ will get the reward of eternal life. It doesn't matter if you start at the beginning of the game or late in the game, that it's level ground at the foot of the cross. And so it was just an amazing picture of grace that that Jesus was painting for us. Now, as I close out this series today, I want to preface this message. This is very important. This is not going to be a sermon on marriage. Starting next Sunday and through the month of February, I will be preaching a series called Not Us. And all of that will make sense to you later on. And I'm saving all the marriage stuff, really what I want to say to you then. Now, now if you're single, show up anyway. Because I'm going to keep you from getting heartbroken, okay? So show up and I'm going to help you through that. And if you're married and you think you've got it all figured out, be here because you need it worse than anybody else. Trust me, you do not have marriage figured out. But this, series, or this sermon today is not about marriage. And it's going to feel like it at times, but it is not about marriage. And if you stick with me, you'll get it and understand it by the end of it. In an effort 
to show you how love can change, I want to give you this morning a few statements that describe our feelings before and after falling in love. Before and after falling in love. Now, some of you, you're going to relate to some of these statements. Some of you are going to relate to all of these statements. If you've never been in love, stick around. Take notes because you will feel this way at some point in time in your life. So just a few statements that describe our feelings about uh, before and after falling in love, okay? The first one here, here we go. Before you fall in love, we say things like, you take my breath away. After you fall in love, you say, you are suffocating me, give me some space. Okay, so you see where I'm heading with it. it. It rings a bell with you. You understand what I'm saying. If you've ever felt that way, the latter part of that, raise your hand high. God bless you. You stupid husbands in the room. Never raise your hand on something like that. Okay, here's another one. You ready? Before falling in love, I love the way you take control of a situation. After falling in love, you are a controlling, manip manipulative egomaniac. Before falling in love, you make me feel like a million dollars. After falling in love, if I had a dime for every stupid thing you've ever done, I'd be a millionaire. Before falling in love, honey, is that all you're having for dinner? After you fall in love, Maybe you should just have a salad. <laughs> Before falling in love, isn't it so sweet? We agree on everything. After falling in love, you have a mind of your own, woman. Before falling in love, he needs me. He's completely lost without me. After falling in love, why would you ever ask for directions? Before falling in love, time stood still. After falling in love, you're stuck in a rut. Before falling in love, love is blind. After falling in love, love is very nearsighted. Before falling in love, I can hardly believe we found each other. After falling in love, I can't believe I ended up with someone like you. You see, time has a way of changing the love that we have for others. It just doesn't. We're all victim to it. We, we, it happens to the best of us. But time has a way of making us forget about the feelings that we once had. We started this series at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And today I want us to end it at the end of the Bible with the book of Revelation. If you will, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Now, as you're turning there, I want to go ahead and clear something up. It's kind of a little pet peeve of mine. This is the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. It is a revelation. And so I want everybody in the room to say revelation. revelation. Yes, and you will now hear somebody preaching on TV say revelations. Well, I'm acting like you watch preaching on TV. Let's keep going. Um, <laughs> The book of Revelation is not one that I preach from often. Uh, matter of fact, there's only a handful of sermons that I've really ever preached from the book of Revelation. I've quoted from it quite often, but, but it's one of those books that 
is very mysterious in some ways. Uh, a matter of fact, I've told people that want me to teach on end-time prophecy and things like that, that, that I recognized years ago, early on in ministry, that I'm the kind of guy that if something makes sense in a book and somebody's talking about end-time prophecy and it makes sense to me, I'll buy into it. I'm, I'm just telling you. I learned that early on in my ministry. I'll just buy right into it. Somebody else can write a book about the same exact scripture and have a completely different view. And if it makes sense to me, I'll buy right into that too. And so I recognized a long time ago that there are some mysteries in the Bible that I probably will not understand this side of heaven. His ways are higher than mine. It's probably not for me to understand. And so there's a lot of things that are in the book of Revelation that are forthtelling, things that will come to pass. And whether it's uh, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, and, and, and there's some strange things, you know, like, like, like a dragon and, and you know, a, a multi-headed beast and things like that. And so you, you read about those things and you wonder, you know, is that a literal thing, you know, or is it figuratively speaking? And, and, and there's an argument for both sides. I'm not here to debate all that. As a matter of fact, after I preach this sermon today, please do not walk up to me as you're walking out, you know, in the, the, the fellowship line as you're leaving and, and say something to me like, well, pastor, let me tell you, you know, about this commentary. And like, I really don't care at this point. Okay. I just want to preach what God has laid on my, on my heart today. And then I'm going to get out of the book of revelation. Okay. Can I do that? Is that fair? If it's not fair, just, just, there's another church down the street. Go find them and tell that pastor all about it, all about it. He'll love it. He'll love it. And so the book of Revelation, written by John, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ told to John. You know that because of the first verse in the first chapter. It tells you it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This means that this is the way that Jesus sees things. This is what it looks like. To him. This is looking at life through the filter of his eyes. And, and since he's the truth, and we know that, we know that it's correct. It's the right way to see it. And so Jesus is, is writing these letters to these seven churches. Within this book, there are seven letters written to seven different churches. And in each of these letters, the churches are named, they are evaluated, they are commended, and then they are rebuked. It happens. As, as Jesus writes to each one of these seven churches, he has something specific to say to them. He follows kind of that pattern. He names the church, evaluates them, commends them on a job well done, and then he rebukes them. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Jesus personally speaks to seven local church bodies that are a lot like us. It would be like Jesus writing a letter today to Destiny Community Church in Newberry, Florida. Or if we were the only church in Newberry, it would be to the church in Newberry. We're certainly not the only church. There are some wonderful churches around, but, but, but you get the gist of it. You understand what I'm saying. So he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. He writes a letter to the church in Smyrna. He writes a letter to the church in Pergamum. He writes a letter to the church in Thyatira, to the church in Sardis, to the church in Philadelphia, and a letter to the church in Laodicea. And there are specific things that Jesus wants these churches to know. After all, Jesus has a lot invested in these churches. He has sent many uh, Men to plant these local churches. There were, there were no churches at the time when, 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 no Christian churches at the time when Christ was crucified. And so he has sent them, godly men and apostles, to plant these churches, to lead these people for a season, to teach them the Bible and God's Word, to teach them about grace, to teach them about mercy. Jesus died for these churches before they were even 
formed, before human minds had even created the concept to go out and plant a church, Jesus had already died for them, exemplifying Romans 5 and 8 that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so he died for these churches before they were even created. He died for them. So he is well within his rights to address his concerns with each of them. Now, here's what you need to know about the character of Jesus Christ. He said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it from its own. In other words, he came to save us from us. Because we have a way of messing things up. You ever notice that? He came to save us from us. I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it from its own. So at the moment you feel him him, uh, uh, pulling at your heart, understand he's not condemning you. He is convicting you. And conviction can take us a long way. Conviction grows us up in Christ. Conviction is what we need to become more like him. But never, never has he condemned. And he didn't start here at the end of the book either condemning these churches. On the contrary, he is very encouraging to them. And so I want us to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is speaking. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The Apostle Paul planted the church in Ephesus around 52 AD. It's one of the earliest Christian churches. It was there where Paul came to these new believers and realized that they had not yet come to an understanding of what true baptism really meant. They had not yet encountered the Holy Spirit. And it was there where Paul would pray for these these young believers and, and, and they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. God would empower them to do the work that he had called them to do. So Paul was very influential in the creation of this church and maturing them. For over two years, Paul would personally pastor this church. Ephesus was a beautiful place. It was a port city, and everyone wanted to go to Ephesus. It was a tourist attraction. I mean, even some of the most famous apostles that we know would want to go there and to pastor. Paul, John, Ringo. Um, No, just kidding. Paul, John, Timothy. Timothy was the one I was trying to think of. They would all pastor the church in Ephesus. About a decade after the church had been started, Paul wrote a letter from prison to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. And in this letter, and you can read it in your New Testament, the book of Ephesians, Paul commends them 
for their faith and their love. And the letter informs us that this church was a thriving church. They appeared very well organized and they were busy. They were a lot like Destiny Community Church. They were a busy people, constantly doing ministry. And during these early years, they had been growing, expanding, and doing the will of God. I'm telling you, when I read about the church in Ephesus, it often reminds me of where we are at as a church. It often reminds me of how we started. You see, I remember when there was just a handful of us on Wednesday nights meeting, and just about 15 of us, eight of them related to me. And I remember what it was like when we were starting out. And then I remember when that core group grew to 35, and, and how God blessed our efforts, and we launched, and we had uh, 100 wanted our first service and and then we grew it back down to about 70 and and then we continued to grow from there and and you didn't even get the joke but it's okay we'll just keep going and uh, and God has steady steady been using our efforts and this church has been growing and he's been blessing people and I read in the book of Ephesians how they describe the church in Ephesus and I think to myself man that is us as a church in our text today in Revelation chapter 2 Jesus calls these churches lampstands, meaning they are light bearers. They are not the light. We know that Jesus is the light of the world, so they're not the light, but, but they hold or they bear the light. They show the world Jesus Christ. And Jesus starts this letter by acknowledging what the Ephesian church had done right. He tells them that he has seen their hard work. Because see, this... The church at Ephesus was not a lazy church. No one, no one could blame them. Even in his letter to them here in Revelation chapter 2, he's not telling them that you're a lazy church. My Lord, I've seen some lazy churches in my life. They don't want to do anything to grow the kingdom of God. They don't want to do anything to reach anybody. They were not a lazy church. They didn't just show up for church on Sundays. That's not what they did. No, they were a, a, a bunch of believers that believed in hosting community outreach events. This was the church that was having Easter egg hunts. This is long after the first Easter, so they could have Easter egg hunts, right? They were hosting things like, like Family Fest in the fall. This was that church. They were busy doing the work of the kingdom of God. They served their community and they served each other. And Jesus, in his letter, commends them for that. Jesus had also observed their patience because this church didn't make haste decisions. No, that's not how they operated. They, they, they weighed out the consequences uh, before they acted, which showed great maturity. And that's how they operated. And, and Jesus said, I, I commend you on this. They had not fallen prey to false teachers and false religion. In a region of the world where, where Roman and Greek religions collided, this church was constantly under heavy scrutiny, but yet it was growing anyway. And, and there were people that wanted this church to fail so they would infiltrate and try and confuse the Christians. They would send some of their best people in there and try and confuse the religion, not, not necessarily trying to convert them over, but, but, but let us pervert Christianity. Let us pervert what it means to follow Christ but this church had discernment and they could identify false teachers and Jesus commends them on that he says you've done that you have you have watched out you have weighed this stuff out and you have identified false teachers and false religion and and, and I'm proud of you for that this was most likely one of the largest churches in the Christian faith for it to be listed as one of the seven churches 
that Jesus writes to tells you how influential they are. During that time, it was common for the Apostle Paul, he would write a letter to a church, and that church would read it first. He would address those concerns, and then the letters would be passed from church to church, from town to town, city to city. And, and soon, all the churches would read the same letter. And so, in, in writing this to the church in Ephesus, Jesus knows that this is going to spread throughout Christianity. All the churches will eventually get a hold of that. And even today, we're reading this letter, and it's still impacting us today. This was not a bad church. For us to read this and not understand that there were things about this church that Jesus was pleased with, that would be just a travesty. We have to get it. We have to understand this was not a bad church. In many ways, it seemed like a model church. This would be where, where me and the staff would go to a conference and we would listen to these church leaders and we would, we would take notes on, on how to grow a church and how to serve. And, and, and this was a model church in so many ways. But despite all that they had done right, there is something that is seriously wrong. And it's so serious that Jesus says, I need to address this with you. Not condemning you, but convicting you. The Bible says he chastens those that he loves. He loved this church. He died for this church. And he wants to make sure that they get this part right. And he points out this one area that is seriously wrong in one brief phrase. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You've done all these other things right, but you have abandoned the love that you had at first. This is so serious that Jesus says, if you don't correct it, I will remove your lampstand. Now, I need you to understand this because the removal of the lampstand does not mean that the individual members of the church will be lost and condemned to hell. Uh, too many people have preached that. He's addressing a corporate body and he is looking at them and he is saying, I will remove your lampstand. And what this means is that the church would lose its ability to shed the light of truth. The light from this church would just simply stop shining if they didn't correct this. They would become a church that would have no influence or impact on the community around them if they did not correct this problem. Sadly, we have to say that there are many churches like this in our country today. I mean, the congregations, they still meet year after year, Sunday after Sunday. They do the religious things, and they do them quite well. They sing on Sunday mornings. They serve the community. Hey, they even have people that work in the nursery. They are doing certain things right. But these churches that have lost their lampstand, they have no spiritual impact. They see no lasting change in people's lives. People are not released from their sins. Morals are not changed. Their light has dimmed and they are no longer a lampstand to this world. Why? Because they have abandoned the love they had at first. When Mandy and I first started dating, we, uh, I know what you're thinking right now. 
you're thinking, how in the world did that girl get such a handsome man? <laughs> I'm asking you not to hurt my wife's feelings today and just accept it as reality. Mandy and I first started dating. I wanted to do everything I possibly could to impress her. Some of you guys in the room, you've been there. You know what this feels like. During that time when we were first dating, I was working long hours for the company I worked with, and it was nothing for me to work from 8 in the morning until sometimes 8, 9 o'clock at night. But I wanted to see her so bad, so bad. You know, those, those two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour phone calls or where you stay on the phone all night falling asleep, you know, and, and you hear her voice, are you asleep? Uh-uh, no, nah. uh, I'm here. They just weren't, weren't cutting it anymore. I wanted to see her every night. I wanted to see her. And so I would run home and I'd get a shower because I was usually stinking by the end of the day from working. I'd get a shower and I'd, I'd put on nice clothes, you know. I'm the kind of guy that I, I usually lounge around the house in a pair of basketball shorts and a t-shirt that usually I've cut the sleeves out of. But that's not how I wanted to see her. More importantly, that's not how I wanted her to see me. I wanted her to be impressed with me. And so I would get home from work, and I know I'm only going to see her for an hour, a couple of hours most. And I would go home, and I'd change clothes, put on something nice. Then I'd spray my cologne on. I get it from my dad. My dad loves to wear cologne, and, and it's something. I mean, if, if you hug my neck, you're going to smell cologne. If you don't like cologne, don't hug my neck. You know, that's that easy. And, and so I, I would put on my, my cologne because not only did I want to look good, I wanted to smell great, you know, because I'm trying to impress her. I remember that when Mandy and I would go out on dates, we'd riding down the road in the car, and there were certain things that I just would not do in front of her because I wanted to impress her. I didn't want to be crude, rude, vulgar. And I've tried my best to think of another illustration, but there's no other way to, to say this, so I'm just going to come out and say it, okay? I didn't want to burp in front of Mandy. I didn't, so, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't burp. I, I'm going to take it a little bit farther. Is that all right? <laughs> I'm going to try and use a little couth up here. But to impress this woman that I'm trying to win her heart, I did not want to break wind. For some of you in the room that are sitting here and you're going, did he really just say what I think he said? <laughs> Stick around. It gets better than that usually. <laughs> I didn't want to break wind. I didn't want to toot. <laughs> Poot. Some of you don't like your kids saying the F word, so I won't use that word. Somebody's not paying attention in the back row said, F word? What? What? <laughs> F-A-R-T. I didn't want to do those things in front of my, my girlfriend because I wanted to impress her. I wanted her to look at me as a gentleman. And, and plus, I didn't want her doing it in front of me. <laughs> so I figured if I didn't do it in front of her, she won't do it in front of me. And we just won't lose that image of each other, you know. And that's the problem with some of your marriages right now. But show up next week and we'll start fixing all that stuff. I'm telling you. Some of you guys are like, shoot, my wife does that right in front of me right now. It's survival of the gaseous in my, my home, but it's your problem. That's not my problem. Here's a tip 
Ready? If you want to have what you used to have, do what you used to do. My wife would tell you right now, I still to this day won't do those things in front of her. Oh, we shut the door to the bathroom in our home. <laughs> we lock it too. You're not walking in on me. I can't control what I do in my sleep. But I'm telling you, when I'm awake, when I'm awake, I don't do those things in front of my wife because if I want what we used to have, I have to do what we used to do. And the same thing happens in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want those feelings that you once had when he was your first love, when, when, when everything, everything in your life changed at the moment you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, if you want those feelings, you have to do what you once did. Oh, I remember when I first gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I remember what that felt like. I was playing the drums in Lake City Church of God, 16 years old, and, and, and I would come to church on Sundays because my dad was a pastor and he made me go to church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I had to go to church on Sundays, but I would play the drums. I would drink on Friday nights. Caleb, Kendall, I'll knock you out. Don't even. I would drink on Friday and Saturday night. On Sunday mornings, I would get on the, the drums and I would play for a church service. And a 90-year-old retired minister by the name, a 92-year-old retired minister by the name of Morris Wiggins came and he come up to me and he says, aren't you tired of running from God? Don't you want a change in your life? And the man pulled me up by the arm, took me to the altar and led me to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I remember, I remember the guilt that was lifted from my life in that moment. I remember the shame that I once had vanished. I remember wanting to tell everybody because I wasn't ashamed of him. I was a lampstand. Everywhere I went, people noticed. My friends at school, they knew something was different. They had to start changing the way that they would talk around me and the jokes that they would tell around me. They stopped inviting me to their parties. It's okay, I had godly people in my life that were inviting me to their homes. My life was a lampstand and sometimes I look at my life now and I wonder what happened. What happens to us over time? The most significant thing that could ever happen in a person's life, being saved from their sin. Over time, it just becomes so shallow. And we don't have the same fervency that we once had. We don't tell people like we used to. One of the great things that I see happen at our church, and it happens in, in waves, is there's new people that come to know Jesus Christ. And when they do, you'll see it on Facebook. They are excited about what he is doing in their lives. I mean, they cannot hardly stand it. And so they start 
They start putting things out there on social media for the world to see, for all of their friends to see. They'll post quotes that the pastor makes during service, and I hope it's not about flagellants. <laughs> they brag about Jesus. And that's what happens when we first come to Christ. We're excited about it because there's a change. But the church has a way of taming you. You ever notice that? Man, we get around each other sometimes, and we're commanded to forsake not the assembling of yourselves. But sometimes I wonder if we just get something in the mix wrong. Because we are to encourage one another, even more as we see the day approaching, is what the Bible says. We need to be, be, be telling each other what he did for us and what he saved us from. So 16 years old, let me tell you, I took my last drink of alcohol. And there was nothing going to change that direction that he had for my life because I knew then I was called to ministry. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew it. And I wanted to tell people what he had done in my life. I'm afraid sometimes that familiarity and comfort, I'm afraid they hinder us. Oh, they have their benefits. I mean, let's be honest. We all want to be familiar and comfortable around our spouses as our relationship grows. But I, I want to submit this to you, church. Familiarity and, and comfort, they, they can also create a disrespect if you're not careful. You can become too comfortable sometimes around the people that you love. And you will disregard their feelings. And you will completely, completely not, not, not show them the attention that they need and give them the respect that they deserve. I believe that you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that, is, that is something that needs to be familiar in our lives. We know that we need to be comfortable in honest conversation with him when we pray. But we must never forget that we are still communicating with deity, with a holy God. And we forget sometimes. We forget. And we live our lives in a way that it's not a lampstand any longer. It's not... It's not Lighting up the world around us because we become too comfortable and too familiar that we forget that we're standing in the presence of a righteous judge. And just like our marriage, we too must return to respecting our Lord and return to our first love. And how do I do that? I'm going to do this quick. Jesus told the church at Ephesus how you do this. How do you return to your first love? Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus gives us this beautiful action plan. He, he says it's this simple. It's this easy for you to do this. Here's the action plan. He says, first of all, remember. Don't just go through the motions. The church at Ephesus had started going through the motions. They were doing some things right, but they forgot about their first love. Everything that we do, it must point to Jesus. If it is an Easter egg hunt, it points to Christ. If it is family fest, it points to Christ. If it's a Super Bowl party, somehow, some way, I want it to point to Christ. And they had stopped pointing people to Christ. And he said, you're in danger. I will remove the lampstand. You will no longer 
shine the light of Christ through your life. So Jesus said, remember what it means to love me. Remember what it feels like to not be bound by sin and shame any longer. Remember what it feels like to be delivered, saved. And then he says, repent. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Now, repentance means to turn from the opposite direction. We think repentance means, God, I'm sorry for what I did. That's not repentance. Repentance means to turn, to do a 180 from the direction that you're heading and go the opposite direction. So he says, remember what this is like. You're going in the opposite direction. Repent, turn from that way, start going back to this way. And then he says, repeat. Let's get back to what it was like when we first started. Go back to your first works, to your first Love, get back over there where you belong and do your first works over. I had the wonderful, awesome privilege when we were still in that little old sanctuary across the street in the student center now where we first started our church. I'll never forget Melaine Langford. She was here during first service. She was sitting right over here and Melaine, well into her 70s at the time. Saint of God, man. She's been to more church services than I could even imagine. And she came to me and said, Pastor, I want to be rebaptized. I said, What is this about? She says, God told me to do my first works over. Now, this church, trust me, is not that little old woman's style. The songs we did this morning, that is not what she cut her teeth on at all. But somewhere, somewhere deep down inside, Melaine knew if she was going to be a part of this movement, she was going to have to do her first works over. Go back to how it started. Melaine gave me the privilege of baptizing her in that old sanctuary. And she's been with us since day one and was here this morning. There's something about going back and doing your first works over. Remembering what it felt like when you first experienced Jesus Christ. Can you remember that? I asked you when we were ending worship today, do you remember what life was like before him? Because sometimes that's the best way to remember what life was like when you first encountered him. Do you remember it? My prayer for this year God, don't let Destiny Community Church forget that which we love first. I don't want to get so busy in all the stuff that we do that we forget to love on Jesus and let him love on us. Because if we do, we'll lose our lampstand. I don't care how many people we run. I don't care how much money is in the bank and if we're about to break ground on a building. I don't, I don't care about all that if it's all done without loving Jesus. I want to make sure that we don't forget our first love. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person for service times and directions log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284.
Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church for Life's Journey.